Chapter Twenty Four of Love Affairs of the Courts of Europe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Russo. Love Affairs of the Courts of Europe by Thornton Hall. Chapter Twenty Four. A Friend of Marie Antoinette. There is scarcely a spectacle in the whole drama of history more pathetic than that of Marie Antoinette, dancing her light-hearted way through life to the guillotine, seemingly unconscious of the eyes of jealousy and hate that watched her every step, or, if she noticed at all, returning a gay smile for a frown. Wedded when but a child, full of the joy of youth, with laughter bubbling on her pretty lips and gaiety dancing in her eyes, to a dull-witted clown to whom her fresh young beauty made no appeal, surrounded by court ladies jealous of her charms, feared for her foreign sympathies, and hated by a sullen, starving populace for her extravagance and her pursuit of pleasure, the Austrian princess, with all her young loveliness and the sweetness of her nature, could please no one in the land of her exile. Her very amiability was an offence. Her unaffected simplicity a subject of scorn, and her love of pleasure a crime. Had she realized the danger of her position and adapted herself to its demands, her story might have been written very differently, but her tragedy was that she saw or heeded none of the danger signals that marked her path until it was too late to retrace a step, and that her most innocent pleasures were made to pave the way to her doom nothing for instance could have been more harmless to the seeming than marie antoinette's friendship for yolande de polignac but this friendship had beyond doubt a greater part in her undoing than any other incident in her life from the affair of the diamond necklace to her innocent infatuation for count fersen and it would have been well for the queen of france if madame de polignac had been content to remain in her rustic obscurity and had never crossed her path when Yolande Gabriel de Polastron was led to the altar one day in the year 1767 by Comte Jules de Polignac, she never dreamt, we may be sure, of the dazzling role she was destined to play at the court of France. Like her husband, she was a member of the smaller noblesse, as proud as they were poor. Her husband, it is true, boasted a long pedigree, with its roots in the Dark Ages, but his family had given to france only one man of note the cardinal de polignac accomplished scholar courtier and man of affairs who was able to twist louis the fourteenth round his dexterous thumb and comte jules was the cardinal's great-nephew and through his mother had mazarin blood in his veins but the young couple had a purse as short as their descent was long and the early years of their wedded life were spent in comte jules dilapidated chateau on an income less than the equivalent of a pound a day in a rustic retirement which was varied by an occasional jaunt to paris to see the sights and enjoy the little cheap gaiety comte jules however had a sister diane a clever-tongued ambitious young woman who had found a footing at court as lady-in-waiting to the comtesse d'artois and whom her brother and his wife were proud to visit on their rare journeys to the capital and it was during one of these visits that marie antoinette who had struck up an informal friendship with a sprightly laughter-loving diane first met the woman who was to play such an important and dangerous part in her life it was perhaps little wonder that the French queen, 
craving for friendship and sympathy fell under the charm of yolande de polignac a girl still but a few years older than herself with a singular sweetness and wisdomness and beautiful as a dream the beauty of the young countess was indeed a revelation even in a court of fair women in the extravagant words of chroniclers of the time she had the most heavenly face that was ever seen her glance her smile every feature was angelic no picture could it was said do any justice to this lovely creature of the glorious brown hair and blue eyes who seemed so utterly unconscious of her beauty such was the woman who came into the life of marie antoinette and at once took possession of her heart at last the queen of france in her isolation had found the ideal friend she had sought so long in vain a woman young and beautiful like herself with kindred tastes eager as she was to enjoy life and with all the qualities to make a charming and sympathetic companion it was a case of love at first sight on marie antoinette's parts at least and each subsequent meeting only served to strengthen the link that bound these two women so strangely brought together the contest must come oftener to court the queen pleaded so that they might have more opportunities of meeting and of learning to know each other and when the contest pleaded poverty marie antoinette brushed the difficulty aside that could easily be arranged the queen had a vacancy in the ranks of her equerries monsieur le comte would accept the post and then madame would have her apartments at the court itself thus it was that comte jules's wife was transported from her poor country chateau to the splendours of versailles installed as chère amie of the queen in place of the princess de lamballe and with a bow of fortune at her pretty feet and never did woman adapt herself more easily to such a change of environment it was indeed a great part of the charm of this remarkable woman that amid success which would have turned the head of almost any other of her sex she remained to her last day as simple and unaffected as when she won the queen's heart in diane de polignac's apartment so absolutely indifferent did she seem to her new splendours that when jealousy sought to undermine the queen's friendship she implored marie antoinette to allow her to go back to her old obscure life and it was only when the queen begged her to stay with arms around her neck and with streaming tears that she consented to remain by her side if the queen ever had any doubt that she had at last found a friend who loved her for herself the doubt was now finally dissipated such an unselfish love as this was a treasure to be prized and from this moment queen and waiting woman were inseparable when they were not strolling arm in arm in the corridors or gardens of versailles her majesty was spending her days in madame's apartments where as she said we are no longer queen and subject but just dear friends so unhappy was marie antoinette apart from her new friend that when madame de polignac gave birth to a child at passy the court itself was moved to la muette so that the queen could play the part of nurse by her friend's bedside such now was the queen's devotion that there was no favour she would not have gladly showered on the countess but to all such offers madame turned a deaf ear she wanted nothing but marie antoinette's love and friendship for herself but if the queen in her goodness chose to extend her favour to madame's relatives well that was another matter thus it was that comte jules soon blossomed into a duke and madame perforce became a duchesse with a coveted tabouret at court but they were still poor in spite of an equerry's pay and heavily in debt a matter which must be seen to 
the queen's purse satisfied every creditor to the tune of four hundred thousand livres and duke jules found himself lord of an estate which added seventy thousand livres yearly to his exchequer with another annual eighty thousand livres as revenue for his office of director-general of posts of course if the queen would be so foolishly generous it was not the duchesse's fault and when marie antoinette next proposed to give a dowry of eight hundred thousand livres to the duchesse's daughter on her marriage to the comte de guiche and to raise the bridegroom to a dukedom well it was very sweet of her majesty and it was not for her to oppose such a lavish autocrat thus the shower of royal favours grew and it is perhaps little wonder that each new evidence of the queen's prodigality was greeted with curses by the mob clamouring for bread outside the palace gates while even her father's minister kaunitz in far vienna brutally dubbed the duchesse and her family a gang of thieves diane de polignac the duchesse's sister-in-law had long been made a countess and placed in charge of a royal household and the grateful shower fell on all who had any connection with the favourite her father-in-law cardinal de polignac's nephew was rescued from his rustic poverty to play the exalted role of ambassador an uncle was raised per saltum from cure to bishop the duchesse's widowed aunt was made happy by a pension of six thousand livres a year and her son-in-law de guiche in addition to his dukedom was rewarded further for his fortunate nuptials by valuable sinecure offices at court so the tide of benefactions flowed until it was calculated that the polignac family were drawing half a million livres every year as the fruits of the queen's partiality for her favourite little wonder that at a time when france was groaning under dire poverty the volume of curses should swell against the austrian panther who could thus squander gold while her subjects were starving or that the court should be inflamed by jealousy at such favours shown to a family so obscure as the polignacs to the warnings of her own family marie antoinette was deaf what cared she for such exhibitions of spite and jealousy she was queen and if she wished to be generous to her favourite's family none should say her nay and thus with a smile half careless half defiant she went to meet the doom which though she little dreamt it awaited her the duchesse was now promoted to the office of governess of the queen's children a position which was the prerogative of royalty itself or at least of the very highest nobility with her usual modesty she had fought long against the promotion but the queen's will was law and she had to submit to the inevitable as gracefully as she could and now we see her installed in the most splendid apartments at versailles holding a salon almost as regal as that of marie antoinette herself she was surrounded by sycophants and play-seekers eager to capture the queen's favour through her and such was her influence that a word from her was powerful enough to make or mar a minister she held in fact the reins of power and was now more potent than the weak-kneed king himself it was at this stage in her brilliant career that the duchesse came under the spell of the comte de vaudreuil handsome courtly an intriguer to his fingertips a man of many accomplishments of a supple tongue and with great wealth to lend a glamour to his gifts a man of rare fascination and as dangerous as he was fascinating 
the woman who had carried a level head through so much unaccustomed splendor and power became the veriest slave of this handsome honey-tongued conte who ruled her as she in turn ruled the queen at his bidding she made and unmade ministers she obtained for him pensions and high offices and robbed the treasury of nearly two million livres to fill his pockets when marie antoinette at last ventured to thwart the comte in his ambition to become the dauphin's governor he retaliated by poisoning the duchess's mind against her and bringing about the first estrangement between the friends torn between her infatuation for vaudreuil and her love of the queen the duchess was in an awkward dilemma it became necessary to choose between the two rivals and that vaudreuil's spell proved the stronger her increasing coldness to marie antoinette soon proved it was the rift within the lute which was to make the music of their friendship mute the queen gradually withdrew herself from the duchesse's salon where she was sure to meet the insolent vaudreuil and thus the gulf gradually widened until the severance was complete evil days were now coming for marie antoinette the affair of the diamond necklace had made powerful enemies the polignac family taking the side of vaudreuil and their protectress were arrayed against her france was rising on the tide of hate to sweep the austrian and her husband from the throne the horrors of the revolution were being loosed and all who could were flying for safety to other lands at this terrible crisis the queen's thoughts were less for herself than for her friend of happier days she sought the duchesse and begged her to fly while there was still time then it was that touched by such unselfish love the duchesse's pride broke down and all her old love for her sovereign lady returned in full flood bursting into tears she flung herself at marie antoinette's feet and begged forgiveness from the woman whose friendship she had spurned and whose life she had however innocently done so much to ruin a few hours later the duchesse disguised as a chambermaid and sitting by the coachman's side was making her escape from france in company with her husband and other members of her family while the queen who had loved her so well was left to take the last tragic steps that had the guillotine for go just before the carriage started on its long and perilous journey a note was thrust into the chambermaid's hand adieu most tender of friends how terrible is this word but it is necessary adieu i have only strength left to embrace you your heart-broken marie then ensued for the duchesse a time of perilous journeying to safety at sans her carriage was surrounded by a fierce mob clamouring for the blood of the aristos are the polignac still with the queen demanded one man thrusting his head into the carriage the polignacs answered the abbe de balivière with marvellous presence of mind oh they have left versailles long ago those vile persons have been got rid of and with a howl of baffled rage the mob allowed the carriage to continue its journey taking with it the most hated of all the polignacs the chambermaid whose heart we may be sure was in her mouth thus the duchesse made her way through switzerland to turin and to rome and to venice where news came to her of the fall of the monarchy and louis's execution by the time she reached vienna on her restless wanderings her health shattered by hardships and by her anxiety for her friend broke down completely she was a dying woman and when a few months later she learned that marie antoinette was also dead a natural death they mercifully told her thank god she exclaimed 
now at last she is free from those bloodthirsty monsters now i can die in peace seven weeks later the duchesse drew her last breath with a name she still loved best in all the world on her lips in death she and her beloved queen were not divided End of chapter.